0: I'm, I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I, I don't want to. I really don't want to. But you know who's got weapons? And you know who just might have a difference-making quarterback? Assuming he grows the way we think he's going to grow, that's the Texas Longhorns. Welcome in. It's always college football. We finally put a bow on our preseason top 25. Jack Foster's with me. Jake Garcia's with me. Kubiak's still on vacation. I don't know where he is. He must be like backpacking the Amazon because allegedly he does not have Wi-Fi. I mean, I, I'm not buying it, but I digress. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks so much for being with us, man. We are having a blast here in the summertime talking a little college football. Like we've talked about the last couple of days today, we're going to dive in to the top 10 in our top 25. Now, this is a snapshot, y'all. It's a snapshot. This is this is subject to change. I'm not. I'm not. Look, we put a ranking out. Like we are accountable for it. But we might tinker with it a little bit depending on how some of these competitions play out. Maybe you have an injury in fall camp. Heaven forbid, please don't. But if you do, that might impact how we evaluate your program going into the season. Now, you might be wrong in your evaluation. I always remember back to 2014. When the Ohio State Buckeyes lost Braxton Miller in the preseason, it's like, who's this JT Barrett guy? And then, sure enough, they go on, win the national championship, not even with JT Barrett, with Cardale Jones. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, to continue to evaluate and assess this. And for those of you that are watching on the YouTube page, please don't judge me for my face being red. I am not sunburned. Uh, I went for a run, and the AC unit in... The upstairs is getting fixed right now. So it's like a thousand degrees. So I am in fall camp mode right now. Like I'm not sweating through my shirt, but it's coming. By show's end, it will it might very well be there, but hold me accountable. I'm a little overweight right now. It's summer. I'm eating terrible. Why not? It is what it is. So hope everybody is having a terrific day. We're gonna have some fun with you here today. I continue to encourage you all, please, please, please. And it's been so helpful and we so appreciate you guys reaching out via the podcast, leaving a rating, leaving a review. It's been really helpful for us. We don't have a, a group that that promotes our show. We promote it ourselves. And if you can continue to leave us a rating, leave us a review, it'd mean an awful lot to us. That's wherever you get your podcast. Or if you're here with us on the YouTube show, please leave us a comment. Please hit us a thumbs up and please subscribe to the ESPN YouTube page. Now, without much further ado, The top 10. This surely won't get anyone fired up. It won't get anyone fired up, but just in case it does, hit us up at Always CFB. Let's get to it. Top 10 of our preseason top 25. Earlier this week, we released our top 25, but we only got between 11 and 25. If you missed that show, go back and check it out. We document every single team, 11 through 25, go through some of the highlights, go through some of the new faces, the new names, the coordinator changes, the expectations, and in case you didn't listen to it and you just want a little Cliff Notes version of it, I really like the Big 12 and I really like the Pac-12. Deep leagues with a lot of contenders. I don't think I need to tell you a whole lot more. There are a few surprises in there as well. Maybe not a lot of you thinking about UCLA. Maybe a lot of not, not a lot of you thinking about Wisconsin. Maybe not a lot of you thinking about the possibilities of Ole Miss being a disruptor in the SEC West. I highly recommend you go back and check out Teams 11 through 25 on our previous episode, but let's get to the top ten right now. A lot of intrigue and a lot of familiar faces. I tried to be creative; I really did. You know, I, I think sometimes when we're doing the top twenty-five, we just throw some stuff against the wall. Oh, let, let's let's throw a flyer on this team. I, I really tried to do that. I, I actually had a very difficult time doing that. Now, everyone kind of acknowledges the depth of some of the aforementioned leaks, but it does feel a little bit like there have been some teams that have separated at the top. For instance, the SEC. Are there three teams in the top five? The Big Ten. We all know who the top two are. We obviously have already told you that Penn State resides in our top 11, but not in our top 10. The ACC. Is it Florida State's year or is it Clemson's year? These are all questions that we tried to figure out, but to be honest with you, I really didn't want it to be the case. I didn't want it to be like this. Chuck kind of flew in our top 10. Let's not waste any time. Let's start with team number 10. That's the Clemson Tigers. I saw them in their most recent outing. We called the, sh- the Orange Bowl. And it was not their best performance. But I think in talking to Dabo Sweeney beforehand, this was a team that had to make a quarterback switch. This was a team that had some challenges on the perimeter. This was a team that wasn't quite as dynamic along the offensive line as they anticipated. And the team in the back end that was good, And defensively good at all three levels, but for whatever reason, they just lost some close games and we're going to sit here and it's just so funny where Clemson's at right now. And it's an amazing testament to what Dabo Sweeney has created, is it not? I mean, Dabo's done an amazing job. And when we look at an 11 and three season with an ACC championship and a New Year's six bowl game invitation, oh, what a failure. You know, that's, that's a good thing, okay? So let's just take that with the grain of salt. I think Clemson will be back in the mix again this year in the ACC. But I think with the pieces they return, I have them actually finish second in the ACC as of, right now. Let's talk about what they have. They've obviously made a switch with their offensive coordinator. Garrett Riley comes over from TCU, did an amazing job last year, won the Burles Award as the nation's best assistant. Now, what will he do with Cade Klubnick? We know Cade Klubnick's a dynamic athlete. We know Cade Klubnick was pretty good down the field last year, especially in the ACC championship game, by far his best performance of the season. But he was young, and there were a few mistakes that were made. Situational awareness is an area where he needs to continue to grow. And I think Look, when you think about Clemson, you can't play quarterback by yourself, man. Everyone blamed D.J. Uyungle about his shortcomings, but let's be real. I like their receivers. I think the receivers are solid. And I look at, um, you know, with the tight ends emergence last year, a position that had not always been a huge featured part of Clemson's offense. They really kind of came into their own. Now you bring back Jake Burningstool. You bring back Antonio Williams, who is without question your most dynamic weapon They're in the slot, but those are really the two guys that are front and center right now for where they're going to be. We all know what they can do with their running back situation with Will Shipley. I think he's going to continue to be a very, very good football player. Probably doesn't get the credit he deserves, but the guy's legit. He runs bigger than he is. He runs with great power. He's dynamic out of the backfield as a weapon in the passing game, but we need the receivers to emerge. And we know Antonio Williams is going to be there. We know Burning Stool is going to be a weapon in the red zone. Who are the other guys going to be? And will they be anywhere near what Clemson had in the past when they had first-round receiver after first-round receiver after first-round receiver throughout the 2010s? That's a big question that I have going into this season. Offensive line should be pretty dang good, but they do have to replace their left tackle and Jordan McFadden, who's one of the better guys they've had in quite a while. The offense will take some of the pressure off the offensive line. This is a... Tempo offense is a spread offense where they want to dictate by formation and they force you to make a declaration defensively on every single snap. So very excited about this marriage that could exist between Garrett Riley, Cade Klubnick, and the offensive identity as a whole. When you think about what Clemson lost on defense, quietly, quietly, I might add, (laughs) now they didn't have anybody go really in the top two or three or four or five in the draft, sure. But you lose four all ACC players to the NFL draft is is a little tough, but taking in mind who's coming back, they're in pretty good shape. I mean, Wes Goodwin, by the way, defensive coordinator, is one of the best minds on that side of the ball in all of college football. Bring back some dynamic players at the second level. Barrett Carter, Jeremiah Trotter, Tyler Davis up front should be a really, really solid piece as well. So I think you look at Rook Arororo as well. You look at their front seven, they're going to be in really good shape. And then last year, they were young in the back end. Nate Wiggins was a freshman. He's now going into year number two. And this is a pass defense that needs to take a significant step. They finished 76 in the country last year, and that's just not good enough, I think, to get back into striking distance of the college football playoff. Clemson is in at number 10. If you're wondering what that makes me kind of anticipate for Clemson, 10-2 and or so. Maybe 9-3, and depending on who the loss has come to. That's about where things stand let's go next to the utah utes they are in at number nine now how far can they go this year a lot of it depends on health of their quarterback cam rising got hurt in the rose bowl game tore his acl that was so depressing goodness gracious i was so bummed cam rising look we're not supposed to play favorites Right? We're not. We, like, we call it how we see it. We try to assess. We try to be diplomatic in how we evaluate players. I can't hide it. I love Cam Rising, and I'm going to love him next year. I'm going to love him the year after that. When he graduates, I'll remember him so fondly with what he meant to Utah's program. He's got to be at 100%. And Granted, he's going to be nine months removed from that ACL injury when he takes the field against Florida in week number one. So I don't think it's the end of the world, but I need to know that if they're going to involve him in the quarterback run game, if he's going to be the power short yardage guy that they've had him be in the past, he needs to be at 100%. If he's not, that could really throw a wrench in the fact that I have Utah sitting at number nine. I'm obviously operating under the assumption that all will be well with him. The good news is Brent Keithy will also be back for the Utah Utes at tight end. We all know they lost Dalton Kincaid and what a big loss that is, but highly optimistic, with what's been brought back, sixth year in Brant Keithy. He's kind of like a Travis Kelsey type, if you will. Got some good speed, has some good feel, and he's an instinctive player that has clearly developed a rapport with Cam Rising over the last couple of years. Don't forget this name, Jaquindon Jackson at running back. Now, everyone was over the moon with what he did down the stretch last year. A lot of people said, well, you know, is that is that real? Or was this the end of the year? He just caught fire and we figured it out. I think this guy's the real deal. Keep an eye on... On him, you also add Micah Pittman from Florida State, who won at one point. Even though he wasn't the bell cow at Florida State, the guy is a good, solid veteran contributor. So if he can fill that role in the slot, they should be pretty good with their weapons. And we all know Utah offensively; their offensive line is going to be physical, they're going to be powerful, and they're going to play with an edge. So that will never be a group as long as Kyle Whittingham's there. That will concern me. The big question defensively is how do they? adequately replace the playmaking ability of Clark Phillips. Now Clark Phillips last year at corner, it always felt like and you guys remember watching Utah last year. It's like their defense was eh, not, maybe not quite as good as they've been in the past, but every time they need to make a play, they always seemed to make it happen. And the guy that almost always made it happen was, was Clark Phillips? He, of course, went to the NFL draft. But the good news is they have a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. Miles Battle comes over from Ole Miss. That should be—I don't know if it's a, you know a band-aid on a bullet hole as far as that absence is concerned, but he's a guy that's played high-level football against quality competition in the past. Look at the other side—you have a couple of solid pieces and tra- to Travis Broughton and Samiah Vaughn. Both those two guys. Adequate options to replace on the other side of the corner. They do have a couple guys coming in uh, that should hopefully be pretty good. One guy to keep a name on, uh, name to remember is Nate Ritchie returns from a two-year LDS mission. And Utah, I don't know about you guys. Like when I watch Utah, I'll watch them from the year before, and I'll I'll be like, okay, hey, they're going to miss that guy, for instance. And then boom, you watch them week one the following year, and they're like, hang on a second, who is this sophomore? Well, he's been away for two years. Now he's twenty-two. And he's a true sophomore, and he's kicking butt and taking names. So Nate Ritchie could be that guy this year. They do have a bunch of veterans up front, and you know me, man. If I can have a quarterback and good, solid defensive line, I feel pretty good about the possibilities that you have there defensively and offensively. So Utah, in as a contender, my second overall team in the Pac-12, but my number one overall team in the Pac-12, the Washington Huskies. Is there a more underrated coach in America than Kalen DeBoer? Probably not. Guy's 90 11 in his head coaching career. I would say that's pretty dang good. Coming off an 11 win season last year. And you got to think, man, last year was a breakthrough. Okay. And we know that no one's, you know, I mean, Washington's not sneaking up on anybody this year, man. Like we know very, very well what Michael Penix is capable of. We know just how dynamic those wide receivers can be. We know just how good Rome Adunzi is, Jalen McMillan. I mean, you got weapons all over the place. And uh, I got to think, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive, but Michael Penix kind of thrust into the spotlight last year, had an amazing year. But that was the first year of a transfer situation. I mean, even Joe Burrow, First year of his transfer situation, struggled in his redshirt junior year at LSU before he had a massive breakout, maybe the best season we've ever seen in 2019. So there is a little bit of a gap there for you to kind of get on the same page with the other personnel that you are going to be playing with. And it certainly didn't seem like there were any hiccups. (laughs) And if that was year one, what could year two look like? I'm anticipating a pretty significant leap for that passing attack. And that's hard to do, given exactly what they accomplished last year. you also look too at what they added from the transfer portal. I love Dylan Johnson transfer from Mississippi State. I love this guy. I think he runs so hard. I think he gets downhill. I also think when you add another person in uh, in Jeremy Bernard from Michigan State at wide receiver. The depth gets better, and you're only going to have more weapons to account for. Now, the big question is whether or not they'll be able to play as well along the front as they did last year. Now, they bring back their tackles, which is a pretty good starting point. They still have to figure out the internal pieces of that offensive line. Now, Penix's escapability will help with that. It will help some. (laughs) But like I mentioned a second ago with Clemson, you can't play quarterback by yourself. you got to have good sound protection, especially in the middle. And if there is any type of growing pains for that offensive line, that could be a little problematic, but I'm banking on the possibility that they're going to be just fine. I think the best edge defender in America that nobody talks about is Braylon Trice. This guy is amazing. Had 67 pressures last year, and according to some I don't, look. I, I have a hard time keeping track of like all the different next level stats. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. Like, oh, he had sixty seven hurries, and he oh, he had he had forty two hurries. I, I I don't know. All I know is when I watch the tape, this guy Rex games, and I know he does it an awful lot. So Braylon Trice is the guy that everyone needs to remember. A name that needs to be at the top of everyone's list this year when going into the preseason All American candidates. You also look at. What they bring back in Zion Tupelo Fatui, he's legit. You also have Thule L. I have a difficult time pronouncing his name. I'm not even going to try, but Thule, I love the way you play. Keep playing at a remarkably high level. When you also think about what they need to grow in. Now, granted, this is a team that's had the lead. They got into some shootouts. The secondary needs to take a step. That's the one area where there is legitimate concern. And Think about the Pac-12, y'all. Think about how good the Pac-12 is from a quarterback weapon standpoint, the PAC 12 stacked just in quarterbacks alone, take out, take out the weapons, but just think about the quarterbacks that you're going to have to face in this league. Even teams like Arizona, Jane Laura is a handful. All right. Uh, Washington state. I mean, handful, handful at quarterback. So we're, we're talking about and Cam Ward. So, I mean, we're talking about great quarterback play all throughout this league. So if your secondary is a little bit of an Achilles heel, that is not ideal. You go out, you get a couple guys in the portal. That should be helpful by going and getting Raylan Goforth at linebacker. You go out and you get the Oklahoma State transfer in Jabbar Muhammad. And the guy that I might be most excited about, Edufan Ulafashio, he is a guy that they are very excited about. If you can get him to emerge alongside Jalen Trice in the front, we are uh, Braylon Trice, excuse me, in the front. You are cooking with gas. So I think the pass rush will help an awful lot, but that secondary needs to take a significant step if they're going to be as good as they're going to be. And keep an eye on this guy. All right. Division two. Division two Sioux Falls edge rusher Zach Durfee. Okay. I'm, I've I've taken a peek at this kid. I don't have a ton of access to division two tape. I did watch some U two highlights. So maybe that gives me a little bit of an inside scoop. Either way, I've heard good things. And if I hear good things, I'm going to go with you. I'm just going to tell you about it. Whether Take it to the bank if you want, or you can just throw it in the corner of your closet. That's okay too. But just if he emerges, just remember that name. Okay. Worth noting. I think Washington wins the Pac-12 this year. I really believe that. I know they don't have the best quarterback in the league, but I do think quarterback plus weapons, there is no team in the Pac-12 that has better weapons than Washington. And you think about the defensive mind that they have on that side of the ball in Braylon Trice. I mean, it's the same reason why everybody loved Alabama at times last year. Like you got a Will Anderson, Bryce Young. I'm not comparing Michael Penix to Bryce Young. I'm not comparing Braylon Trice to Will Anderson. They went one and two in the draft for a reason. I get that. Or one and three in the draft for a reason. I get that. But they're pretty close. <laughs> they're pretty close, and they're two guys that need to be acknowledged, especially if Penix can grow the way. I'm anticipating him growing this year. All right, you ready for a big shakeup here at seven? Now, I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I, I I don't want to. I really don't want to. But we just talked for five minutes about Washington's weapons. We talked about. Clemson and their lack of significant weapons beyond their top two guys. But you know who's got weapons? And you know who just might have a difference-making quarterback? Assuming he grows the way we think he's going to grow, that's the Texas Longhorns. And I don't want to do this, y'all. I don't want to do this. I don't I, I want to be, I don't be in the Texas's back crowd. I don't want to do that. I don't. But I, I just have to evaluate the rosters with what they are. And I also and I try not to look too much at the schedules because this is a snapshot of what I think these rosters would do if everybody played on a neutral field. This is how I think it might shake out. So I look at Texas and I look at their weapons, and I know Bijan Robinson has gone, and and replacing him is going to be remarkably difficult. Now, do I think Jonathan Brooks is up to the task? Do I think Keelan Robinson is up to the task? Uh, do I think Jaden Blue is up to the task? What about CJ Baxter, the top recruit in the country at running back? I'm I don't know. And then Savion Red as well. I mean, the guy that played receiver and now is switching over to tailback. If it's a running back by committee approach, so be it. I mean, I think that receiver nowadays, as crazy as this has gotten, because receiver used to be a dime of the dozen, dime a dozen position. It did. Like back in the day, it was like, well, everybody has a receiver. Well, now if you have game changing wide receivers, it's now a premier position. The premier positions in football to me are still quarterback in no particular order. Quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, and defense event. Those are your premier positions in college football. It's also, I think, your premier positions in the NFL. But I think that's changing, especially in college football. If you have multiple dynamic matchup winning wide receivers, you can cause so much stress. So much stress for the opposing defense, and that's exactly what they have. Xavier Worthy, phenomenal. Tremendous speed, take the top off the defense, but a better route runner than people give him credit. Jordan Whittington, who, I mean, all he does is get open on third down. I mean, <laughs> it's like, all right, you know the ball's going to Whittington on third down. Like, you know it. Like I know it. You know it. Defensive coordinators all over the country know it, and yet, guess what? Boom. Whittington, third down, conversion, first and ten. All right, it's just amazing. I don't know how he does it. You also look at at what they bring in in Adonai Mitchell. Adonai Mitchell from Georgia. I think he's got real playmaking ability and can be another versatile weapon. If he's the number three or the number four target for the Longhorns, guess what? That's the best three or four in the country, arguably. Maybe Ohio State would have something to say about that. But as far as depth is concerned, there are few that have more than the Texas Longhorns. I also need to talk about their tight end, Jataveon Sanders, who I think is a guy that is poised to be a massive contributor this year. He's got great speed, he can stress the defense from the tight end spot. That's all you really need. And don't forget about this guy, Isaiah Nair. He got hurt last year in preseason camp, but now he's back. They had a really high hopes for him last year coming down from Wyoming. And if he can take the step that we anticipate and make a full recovery from that ACL tear, he's poised to have a big season as well. What's the pecking order going to be at Texas? That's the biggest thing the sark has got to figure out. All right, hey, you're R1, you're R2, you're R3, you're R4, you're R5, you're R12, because it feels like they can go that deep as far as their wide receiver core is concerned. Even if they don't line up with a running back on the field, who cares? Put five wideouts or four wideouts and JT Sanders out there, perfect. Let's go, boys. <laughs> we'll run spread all the way down the field and we'll figure it out. It's all banking on the assumption that Quinn Ewers is going to be a different different guy this year. I'm banking on that assumption. I think he's more mature. I think there's a certain sense of urgency. I think his footwork at times got sideways last year, which led to him being sporadically inaccurate. But I do think another year in the system, another year getting reps, and having fended off two worthy competitors in Malik Murphy and, of course, Arch Manning has only increased his own confidence and his own abilities and what he might ultimately be able to do. Now, let's talk a little bit about the defensive side. Can they get after the quarterback and finish this year? They led the country in hurries last year. That doesn't matter. I don't care if you can hurry the quarterback. Can you finish? That, I think, is going to be a big part. Can you turn those hurries into sacks, those hurries into tackles for loss? Because if they can, now we're talking about a massive difference. I think they have some really good pieces up front. Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Baron Sorrell. These are guys that are pretty dang solid. Up front, but what I love most is their second level. I love Jalen Ford, guys, a breakout contender, had nearly 120 tackles last year, 10 TFLs, a couple interceptions. This is a guy that can take over the game. And if you have an eraser at the second level, that's a whole, that's a massive thing to rely on for Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator there for the Texas Longhorns. So, very, very optimistic about what they have. And then here's a bonus. Jalen Catalan, he transfers down from Arkansas. Now, he has not often been healthy for the Razorbacks. If he can stay healthy for the Longhorns, he is a dynamo. He's not very big. He's not very physical. He tries to be. That's why he gets hurt. But he can be, I don't want to say honey badger-like, but he has some of those qualities. He has some of those instincts. Let's go quickly now into number six, the Florida State Seminoles. I love them this year, y'all. I am drinking the Kool-Aid. Just like the Longhorns, I think Florida State's back. Watched them progress last year, watch them get better last year, and watch them have multiple games on their racket they just couldn't close. Also, saw them almost give away the LSU game. So, I have seen this team play really good football and think that another year with all the returnees, they're in great shape. I know they're great at quarterback. I think Jordan Travis has a chance to be a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. I love what they have at wide receiver. A position of concern two years ago, they addressed it in the portal. I think they're better this year now with the addition of Keon Coleman from Michigan State and with the emergence of Johnny Wilson, who has so much length and is so difficult to defend out there on the perimeter. They have the best running back, arguably, in the ACC. Will Shipley might have something to say about it, but for my money's worth, Trey Benson is the B's knees. I love this guy. And he was coming off of a knee injury, a reconstructed knee injury just a couple of years ago, man. He's only going to get more confident in that leg. And he's only going to get stronger. And if he gets stronger, he averaged six and a half yards carry last year. Good luck, man. He's going to be really difficult to contend with. If they can not make mistakes and avoid the penalties and avoid the self-inflicted, this offense should be as good as there is in the ACC. The defensive side of the football not all that like what we just talked about a second ago with Washington. Braylon Trice is legit, right? Well, so is Jared Verse. Jared Verse, if I could have two defensive end and call football, I don't know if they're one, two, but they're certainly both in the top five. Jared Verse is certainly in that mix as well, man. What this guy did last year had nine sacks, but if you really look at it, the guy impacted games every single week almost. I mean, when he was out there, he was impacting games. And started with week one against LSU, he worked. Absolutely worked that LSU offensive line. And if he can play with that type of urgency, with a better understanding of what they're trying to be defensively, I think they're in great shape. You lose Jamie Robinson, which is a big loss in the back end, but I do think they have everyone else back in the secondary and they can overcome his absence, especially with some of the guys they've added along the front. Braden Fisk from Western Michigan. Love a guy. He's kind of a hard hat guy, a blue collar guy. I think he brings that physical edge to be able to hold the point there interior Along the defensive line, I think he's in a great spot. Darnell Jackson from Miami. You got Gilbert Edmond from South Carolina. They also have Patrick Payton coming back as well, who was the ACC defensive rookie of the year last year, who was pretty dang good at applying pressure in his own right. I think this group is really, really solid at all three levels. And I really like what they come back. I've won 10 games for the first time since 2016. Now can you play with expectations? That's the biggest question mark surrounding the Florida State Seminoles. And at number five, their week one opponent, the LSU Tigers. We all know that last year was a huge surprise. Nobody anticipated Brian Kelly winning the SEC West in year number one. Nobody anticipated Jaden Daniels playing that well down the stretch. Granted, I know things didn't go his way against Georgia in the SEC championship game. I know he didn't play great against Texas A&M in the second to last game of the regular season, but the bowl game was great. Played great against Bama when they had to have it. Did some really nice things throughout the course of the season. That was year number one. Let's not forget that. Year number one, and it was a resounding success. Now, you return arguably the best receiver core in the SEC and... You bring back an offensive line that is bookended by true freshmen. You're adding more and they should be bigger, stronger, better than just about anyone in the league. Now, Georgia fans will push back and say, we have the best offensive line. Bama fans will push back and say, we have the best, best offensive line. How do y'all feel? I don't know, man. I look at LSU and I think when they finally figured it out down the back half of the season and they settled in on the two bookend freshman tackles, think about how much better those guys are going to be here in year number two. they, solidified the front with big physical bodies. I think they're going to be in great shape up front. The only question I have is who gets the touches at running back and what's the pecking order going to look like there. Let's go to the defense side of the football. Harold Perkins is probably one of the scariest defensive players in America because he can line up off the ball. He can spy the quarterback. He can rush the passer on third down. You can't block him. I mean, goodness gracious, you're lucky if you can breathe on him. Just try Whatever you got to do to protect your quarterback from number 40, you better do it. And last year, when you talked to their defensive coordinator Matt house, he's like, man, to be honest with you, uh, he doesn't even really know what he's doing yet. Like, wait till he knows what he's doing. It's like, hey, see ball, get ball, Harold, go get it, please. And he did it. Well, now when he can actually read and diagnose and and kind of figure it all out, he's going to be even better. I believe here in year number two, they also add a big time transfer in Omar Spate's at middle linebacker. Those are two off-the-ball linebackers, assuming Harold Perkins plays off the ball, where I think they're going to be really, really good. You bring back Greg Penn in the back end as well. You went out. The one question mark that you had is, this is a school that has long considered themselves DBU. Now, do you agree with that? That's up to you. I'm not making that declaration. I'm saying that LSU considers themselves DBU. Well, they're secondary. Not bad last year, but certainly not elite. They go out, they get four transfers in the secondary. Who's going to start? Who's going to win those competitions? And will they ultimately be able to lock down those positions? Or will it be a little bit of a rotation situation, at least in the first couple games of the season? LSU secondary, they better be ready to roll week one because we know Florida State, like we just talked about, has really solid receiver core and an excellent quarterback. If the pass rush is not up to speed, I think it will be. The secondary better be able to lock it down. And if they can't, that could be a difficult game for LSU in week number one. But like I said, man, week one, number five, my number five against my number six team, that's the matchup you die for there in week number one. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now we move into the top four. And you're going to look at this top four and you're going to say, are you serious, Greg? Because I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm honest with you guys. Like, we're all on the same page it's chalky. And I wanted, I wanted to get tricky with it. Like I wanted to put a Texas in there or Hey, maybe we'll just put, you know, who cares? Put Washington in there. Why not? I just, I couldn't do it. I'm soft is what it is. I'm just soft. That's, that's where I'm at. And uh, if you feel that way, please let us know in the comments. That's fine. I get it. But at number four, I have the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now the big question about Ohio State, and I told Ryan Davis a couple of weeks ago when we had him on the show, I'm not worried about the quarterback position. I'm not. I I know a lot of people are sitting here, and we've spent hours upon hours talking about. Well, how are they going to replace CJ Stroud? Then I'm sure you're probably asking yourself the same thing, aren't you? Like I'm curious. I'm I'm curious who it's going to be. I'm curious how it's all going to unfold. Do I think it's going to be Kyle McCord? Yeah. Is there a possibility that Devin Brown works his way into the mix? I sure. That's absolutely a possibility. But I have come to the realization, and I hope that you guys do too. And look, if this is wrong, we'll address it the first three, four weeks of the season. I've come to the realization that with some schools, I'm just not going to worry about the quarterback spot. I mean, when was the last time the quarterback spot at Ohio State was a legitimate liability? Because I don't remember a time. And I've been whether it's been playing college football or watching college football for the better part of 30 years. And I can't remember a time in which the quarterback spot at Ohio State was a real problem. And I don't think it's going to be a problem this year either. Whether it's Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, they're going to be just fine. The system is set up, and Ryan Day, I think, does a phenomenal job. And all the haters of Ryan Day, feel how you want to feel about him. But I look at it through a quarterback's eyes sometimes, and I just love how easy it makes it on his quarterback. Now, you still got to deliver the ball. You still got to be accurate. You got to make good decisions. You got to do the right thing. You got to move in the pocket every once in a while. And I I emphasize that strongly, I might add, every once in a while, because the protection's been really good, at least the last couple of years. But... He just makes it easy on his guys. And he he knows because he played and he gets it and he knows how to get you into a game. He knows how to set you up for success with the first seven, eight, 10, 12, 15 plays. You're going to feel really comfortable with the game plan because he's going to get you a lot of completions in those first 15. And that's, I think, a testament to him as a play caller and to him as a head coach. So anyone that hates on Ryan Day, man, like I could not disagree with you more. But I digress. This has been a theme a little bit today, right? You can't play quarterback by yourself. Well, I think that most people could probably go out, throw the ball left-handed, even if they're a righty, to Marvin Harrison, and you're probably going to complete 60% of your passes. That's how good that guy is. (laughs) But it doesn't stop there. That's what's most remarkable is that you can have a guy that's that good in Marvin Harrison. I mean, we're talking just absolutely phenomenal. Ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Can stretch the field. Can, can sit down immediately. Has length. Uh, understands how to time the ball in the air. He has all the characteristics of his dad, except he's five inches taller or thereabouts. Let's say five because it sounds good. But then, hey, all right, let's just double him. Let's not let him beat us. Let's double him. Oh, perfect. Well, perfect. you want to double him? And Mecca, boom. Let's work. Oh, Julian Fleming, boom, let's work. Hey, uh, Kate Stover, boom, let's work. I mean, it's like the rich are so rich in this particular world. It doesn't matter who you take away. Guess what? Oh, you want to double all the receivers? You want to drop eight? Fine, Travion, let's eat. It's like one guy after another. Doesn't matter what game it is. Doesn't matter what team it's against. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Those receivers are going to go off this year, and I think they'll continue to go off this year throughout the course of the season. Here's the question, and Ohio State's biggest question, y'all, is not the quarterback spot. I've been trying to tell people this. I've been banging on a drum. I've been yelling off the roof of my house. Ohio State's questions this year are along the offensive line. Anybody that watched the spring game, you're going to say, "Well, that was that was really about Ohio State's defensive presence and, and their pass rushers and all that stuff." That's fine. That's fine. All I know is that offensive line was, for the most part, a brick wall last year. And whether you love the tackles or think the tackles were overrated or however you feel, those guys were big and they were athletic. Really, really athletic, especially on the left-hand side. Replacing those guys will not be easy. And if they can't adequately replace their productivity, that's the only thing that's going to hold this offense back. Now, defensively, I feel like I should name my son after Jim Knowles. Like I freaking love that guy. I think he's amazing. I love the way he mixes the looks. I love how he complicates it and makes it cloudy for the quarterback. And I love how he attacks. Now, I obviously don't like how things went in the last couple of games against both Michigan and Georgia. Way too many big plays given up. Uh, 44 points a game in the last two games. Nine yards a play in the last couple games. Like that's not what you want. Uh, those are problematic, but... Just look at the personnel and think about another year in the system in which they're going to be able to pin their ears back without thinking so much. JT Tulumolao is off the charts good. Jack Sawyer, uh, Michael Hall. I mean, you think about these guys up front. And you think about what you bring back at the second level. I mean, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg had really solid years last year, playing a new system, being athletic, going sideline to sideline, and probably do so again this year. They do need someone... I think to step up in the back-back end of the safety spot, I think it's a solid position. But that has been a position in the past that is super elite. And corner, for instance, for Ohio State has been super elite. Now, I think Denzel Burke is. Do they have another one on the other side? I think I, they probably will. Get a couple transfers. Things should be just fine there in the back end. Jihad Carter's in the end. Of Keep in mind the Syracuse transfer. He's a legit dude. Keep an eye on him. I think this defense top to bottom will be out Standing very excited to see what they're going to do. Let's go to Alabama next. Alabama is in at number three. A lot of people have been talking about how this group is taking a step back. Well, the coordinators are changing, and the quarterback's a problem, and the offensive line isn't as good as it used to be, and the running backs are a question mark, and you have the receivers that aren't as good as they once were. It's like, goodness gracious, alive, they're still pretty dang good. I mean, at what point are we going to start to evaluate Alabama, not based on what Alabama's been, but based on what Alabama's up against? And last I checked, I know Georgia's superhuman. I get that, and they have been the last couple of years. They have to replace a lot too. But everyone's just looking at Carson Beck. Oh, Carson Beck's going to step right in. He's going to be the All-American. How do we know Ty Simpson won't step right in for Alabama and be an All-American? Or Tyler Buckner. Or Jalen Milrow. I don't know. I, I don't know who the guy's going to be. But Ohio State, we give them the benefit of that quarterback. When was the last time the quarterback spot was a liability at Alabama? You're going to say 2010-2009. Fair enough. I was quarterback then. I get it. I can take those jabs. I've absorbed them before. And we'll do so again. But it has not been a, 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 a liability enough to the point in which they were losing a bunch of games because of their quarterback play. It's been since 2007 since that's been the case. Or even before that, I don't even know when. I don't even know. That was Nick Saban's first year. Like, I mean, I don't even know. It's been a while since they've lost a bunch of games in the season because of their quarterback play. And it wasn't in 2007 either. Like I was the backup of that team. John Parker Wilson had a good year. A couple of interceptions, we had a good year. So I'm, I think about it like that. It's like, I'm just not worried about the quarterback spot at Bama. I think they're going to be fine. I think Tommy Reese's offense will protect that guy. I also think the way they're going to practice here in 2023 is going to be with more of an emphasis along the line of scrimmage. There's going to be more of an emphasis on the downhill a gap to a gap run game. And I'm very optimistic about their offensive lines progress and the depth that they have at running back. Now, a lot of people don't know about Jam Miller. A lot of people are talking about Jace McClellan. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about you know the other backs that are going to get some get some carries. And I think they're going to have a committee approach. I think they're pretty dang deep at that position. I think of the offensive line, the emergence of Tyler Booker, he's got a chance to be one of the best offensive linemen in the SEC. I think they're really solid with Dalcourt, McLaughlin, whoever it is at center. Both tackles. Latham, really good. Maybe a true freshman at the other tackle. They're in good shape. The offensive line is going to be really solid. And then a wide receiver, Well, it's not the 2017 team with Devontae Smith and Ruggs and Judy and all these other guys, it's not that. But I do believe that this wide receiver core is actually going to take a little bit of a step forward. There were some pretty positive signs last year. I mean, Jermaine Burton, another year in the system. I think they're going to be all right. They get tight in. They're going to be pretty good. CJ C- Dupree, the transfer from Maryland. He's got a chance to be a real impactful player within this offense. You hear about a bunch of other names too. As you kind of listen to the scuttlebutt and you try to get through what's real and what's not. People I talk to are very excited about their weapons this year. It's an unselfish group that has a high ceiling. And I happen to think that this offense is going to be balanced and it's going to play ball control. And that's what it needs to look like. Because you think about Alabama. When they were ball control, 2009 to 2015. Ball control, take the air out of the football. Murder ball is what they've called it around Tuscaloosa. When they play murder ball, they won four national championships in what? a seven-year period, 9, 11, 12, 15. Well, since they've gone more to a pass-happy attack where they've really emphasized the quarterback position, they've won just two titles. Two titles, 2017 and 2020. Came up short in 16, came up short in 18, came up short in 19, came up short in 21, came up short in 22. So I think getting back to what led to them winning nearly half the national championships in a six, seven-year period, more than half, excuse me, in a seven-year period. That's what it's going to look like a little bit more here in 2023. But will the defense be able to hold up their end of the bargain? That was, of course, the star of the show back from 2009 to 2015. I think they have a chance. They're going to miss Will Anderson, but Dallas Turner is one of the best edge defenders in the country. I feel like I've said that on repeat, by the way. I mean, literally, any. take your pick, by the way. Jared Verse. Dallas Turner, Braylon Trice, a handful of JT Tulimolow, like take your pick. Every one of these teams at the top has a dynamic edge defender. Dallas Turner is that. Now he's been the Robin to Will Anderson's Batman. Can he now elevate and become the Batman himself? They also have kool McKinstry on the perimeter. He has a chance to be a lockdown guy at the corner spot. And this defense has always been best when they have a lockdown corner. Now, Kevin Steele's in at defensive coordinator. It's not going to be quite as aggressive. They're going to play a little bit more, bend, don't break. He will mix and match some of the looks. He will get creative, but he's not going to try to dictate the way the previous regime did. They're going to have some things every week, but it's not going to be a sellout against one specific aspect of what the team's doing offensively. I think he's going to be more strategic. He's going to be more conservative. And as a result, I think they're going to play better and not have as many blown coverages and as many mistakes as they've had the last couple of years. Another couple names to remember. Jaheim Otis, the guy is like 320 pounds down from 420, and he moves like you would not believe. Remember that name. If you don't know about him, watch the middle of the defensive line for Alabama week one and week two against Texas. I would be surprised if he's not wrecking some havoc there along the defensive front. Let's go to my second ranked team, the Michigan Wolverines. I love Michigan this year. I've been very outspoken about Michigan dating back to last year. I They're phenomenal. I expect them to be really good again this year. I do have concerns. I know they've gone out to the portal. They've been a very attractive portal destination for offensive line talent in the past. But will they be able to replace what they had last year? We'll find out. I think that group will be very good. That's a point of emphasis. They're good every year. We all know what they have at running back. Goodness gracious alive. Like the rich get richer. Between Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, they're going to be in great shape at that position. Now, I know that Quorum got hurt down the stretch, had the MCL, the meniscus, all this other stuff. He should be okay, I think, come season time for the Wolverines. It was big that he decided to return. Look at some of the other pieces they bring back. I think Colson Loveland has a lot to like at the tight end spot. He'll be a featured player. You also get A.J. Barner via the transfer portal. I think the one question that you might have is at... Wide receiver, but even that might be a bit of a stretch knowing the identity of this offense is going to be ground and pound until it's not Cornelius Johnson's a difference maker expecting to get as many touches as humanly possible within that offensive scheme. A lot of my excitement about Michigan centers around the improvement of J.J. McCarthy. I think he's really on the cusp of becoming a superstar in the world of college football. I think he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten right now. You're going to say, well, Talia Tungabaloa. Fair enough. If you want the veteran presence that is Talia Tungabaloa, you are more than welcome to have him. I want the upside, potentially, of J.J. McCarthy. I believe he has it in him, and I think his best football is in front of him. I really believe that, and I would be surprised if he doesn't take a significant step this year in 2023. I also look at the defense, number six in total defense last year. They're deeper and more experienced on the front four. You got Mason Graham, You got Chris Jenkins, who's gained some weight. I really like what they have along the defensive front. You watch their spring game too. They got two or three guys on the perimeter that are super twitchy. They're going to be able to create a lot of issues. You have a couple of transfers, Ernest Hausman from Nebraska. You got Michael Barrett. You got a bunch of guys that might be massive contributors and guys that could continue to hold the point for the Michigan Wolverines on the defensive side. You love the back end. Really talented group. Will Johnson, of course, is an All-American contender. Of course, started as a true freshman and now is poised, I think, to to take a significant step. They also have three safeties back in the back end as well. Rod Moore, RJ Moten, and Makari Page. And Amorian Walker flipped from receiver to corner and might be a day one starter here in 23. So I love the depth of this defense. I love the edge this defense plays with. And it seems like every year it's like, man, I wonder what Michigan's going to roll out week one with what they have on the edge. It's like one year after another, it's like every year here comes another all American defensive end. (laughs) Take your pick this year. There's plenty of options to choose from. I love this Michigan group from top to bottom. They should be one of the nation's very, Best and then at number one, it shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation. Part of it has to do with the schedule. Part of it has to do with the fact that they've won consecutive national championships, and it's difficult for me to justify putting anyone else on the one line that's not named Georgia Bulldogs. Now Stetson Bennett's gone. Uh, I think Carson Beck's going to be really good, but I also said that about you know every other quarterback comp. I'm not worried about Ohio State. I'm not worried about Bama. Not worried about all these other schools that have quarterback quote competitions. Uh, I'm not really worried about Georgia's either. I look at how the offense might change a little bit. I think they're going to be a little bit more of a pass-happy attack. I think they're going to be more traditional drop-back, more traditional back-to-the-defense play action. They have excellent weapons. This is the best set of weapons that Georgia has had in Kirby Smart's tenure. You go out and you get some real, real difference-makers in the transfer portal. Dominic Lovett last year from Missouri was one of the best in the SEC. Ra Thomas. Great top-end speed, great explosiveness for Mississippi State last year. He's going to be a featured guy as well. But we also know they have Ladd McConkey, who's a ridiculous route runner and has great top-end speed in his own right. And they have arguably the most dynamic weapon in all of college football in Brock Bowers. Put him a running back, put him a tight end, flex him out to wide receiver. It doesn't matter. Put him anywhere. You can't cover him. The guy's going to get his on a week-to-week basis, especially in the passing game. Offensive line should be really good, and the run game will be really solid as well. Carson Beck's going to be thrust into a perfect situation. New offensive coordinator and Mike Bobo. Will he be as multiple as his predecessor? That's a question, but I'm not sure he's going to have to. I think they're going to be more traditional 11 personnel. Last year, they were mostly 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. This year, I'm expecting a little bit more 11 personnel with the addition of the two wide receivers and the transfer portal. I'm thinking you get one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers, and boom. The rest is history. I think Carson Beck's a dark horse Heisman contender. I think they're going to win a lot of games. And you know, like I've talked about in this program before, you win a lot of games, you're going to be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Then on the defense side of the football, I'm having a difficult time understanding where the Georgia fans are coming from. Hey, this group has a chance to be better this year. I don't agree with that at all. But what is the likelihood? Just out of sheer curiosity, what is the likelihood of you having a better defense in 23 than you had in 22 and 21? It just, it just, you might, you might be, I I hope you are by the way, but this automatic, oh yeah, this guy's better than that guy. This guy's better than that guy. I'm not willing to go that far because I look at the defensive front and I think about Jalen Carter. I think about Jordan Davis. I think about Trayvon Walker. I think about all these guys in the front the last couple of years that were absolute game wreckers. It's a little bit more difficult to identify here in 23. Now, I like Zion Logue. I like Nazir Stackhouse. I like Tremell Walthauer. I love Michael Williams. And I think when we fast forward to season's end, Michael Williams will be a household name. But it's not as deep as it was a year ago. Assuming, you, I mean, if you have some freshmen that come in and just take over games, great, that's awesome. But I can't make that assumption right now. I think the defense could take a step back, but I don't think the offense skips a beat this year. I don't think it skips a beat whatsoever. I love their second level. Jalen Dumas, uh, Jamin Dumas Johnson, Smell Munden. They're going to be really good. And I love the back end as well. Javon Bullard, who is going to be moving to the back end to replace Christopher Smith. I think they're going to be just fine in the second level and the third level. But the defensive front is the real real question mark for me when it comes to the George Bulldogs. Great talent, great uh, probability of being excellent. Just the identity and the culture of Georgia in that defensive front room. You know, they're going to be good. You know, they're going to play hard. But will they be as much of a game breaker as they were the last couple of years? That's the real question that remains. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles, and really who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, fun rounding out the top 25. It's look, it's it's a fun exercise. I mean, if, if you're mad about where your team's at, the only people that are going to be happy with where their team's ranked is Georgia. Like, I'm fully prepared for that. I get it. <laughs> and it's just, you have to tip your cap to them. There are question marks, though. And all the Georgia fans that think they're impenetrable this year, I don't know. We'll see. I hope. Maybe. <laughs> it certainly feels that way, but as you know, anything can happen here on any given Saturday. For all of us here at Always College Football, please ask you guys. We're part of the Omaha family. Uh, we love being a part of Omaha, and they just have the coolest. Watched the first one the other night. They just have the coolest show right now. It's on Netflix it's called quarterback. Okay. And and look, maybe not, maybe you're not into the NFL. It that's fine. But it's really more about the psyche of playing the position. They got Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota. They followed them throughout the 22 season. It's just cool. because you have a Mahomes naturally, I mean the guy won the MVP, won the Super Bowl, all this other stuff. I think he won the Super Yeah, he won the Super Bowl last year. I'm I'm a college guy. All right. I'm sorry. Uh follow him. Yeah, Kirk Cousins who had, you know, solid year. And then you had Marcus Mariota who had some struggles. So it's just cool to see the, just the anatomy of playing the position at the highest possible level and following it throughout the season, the trials, the tribulations. So check that out. It's on Netflix and it would help us in the Omaha family if you could take a peek at that. If you don't want to, no problem. But I know I'm watching and I know I thoroughly enjoyed the first episode the other night. So for all of us here at Always College Football, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We continue to urge you, if you could, wherever you get your podcast, leave a review, leave a rating. It'd go a long way as far as helping us out. Also, give us a follow on our social media at alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. We're going to start posing questions for future shows on our Twitter accounts. You can follow me at Greg McElroy. I'll put them out on my account as well. Going to have some interactions. I'm not going to say we're going to have polls necessarily. We will have some. But we're going to take your answers from our social media posts and actually talk about them on the air. So that'll be fun way for us to continue to interact with the people that have helped us grow the show to a point which we just didn't anticipate getting to here in year number one, right on the cusp of year number two. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, for Jack, for Jake, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.